Chelsea, he, he, Chelsea he, just wasn't listening when you talked about him. We did talk. We did talk about <laughs> Justice West. I promise. Oh we, God. We, so, but so I will. Dumb. It's funnier will, when it happens not to me. <laughs> uh, well, Chelsea, I'll send you all my notes, and you can just read this verbatim. Chelsea, don't uh, worry. This will be a podcast later. You can listen back, and you'll hear what we have so, to say about it. Unless you go to, you'll probably be asleep by the time we get to this. California. Keeping up with the Coens, an OC rewatch podcast. Hello and welcome back to Keeping Up with the Coens. Guys, we are so fucking close to the end <laughs> of season three. Oh my God. The light at the end of the tunnel is as almost as right as the light on Dylan Irwin's face right now. <laughs> Dylan Irwin is my co-host. My name is Ryan Drake. He is coming. We are both coming to you from Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, on a very beautiful october night hello dylan i'm throwing to you first how do you feel about this you know what i i you threw me uh a little bit because i didn't have anything prepared to say so i'll just say what i said in the first take this is actually the second take of this episode (laughs) (laughs) and i'll say that i'm so sorry i'm so glad we're almost done because literally the only thing keeping my daughter inside my wife is us finishing this third season so once we finish it we're gonna restart the episode and you still want to say that joke huh yeah, we're still gonna give that a second. Be, gonna give that a second pass through. It's gonna be cathartic. It's gonna be like we're done. Marissa's dead, and it's only once Marissa dies that new life can begin. You know, when I did comedy, so. I do an open mic, and I would t- I would tell a joke, and if it didn't get a reaction, I would go, I shouldn't do that one again. But nope, not Dylan Irwin. He's determined. You know, I uh, if you say a bad joke enough, it becomes charming. Is is my opinion. That's why we rewatch the role movies. that you play on this podcast. You know what? I love it. Um, also joining. Us all the way from Tulsa, Oklahoma, the lightweight of the 918, our deaf queen, deaf cab for cutie, was Dylan's previous joke that was good. It's Chelsea Trinidad. Hello, Chelsea. I'm sorry. Okay, I know this sounds ridiculous, but I my dog ate my homework pretty much. Not only did he eat my Bluetooth headphones, but now I'm understanding why these would not plug in anymore, and it's because I see dog chewing that he frayed my uh, auxiliary cord. So that's why we're having all kinds of trouble. So I apologize. Or really, I should say Benji apologizes. He's still a puppy. Hey, speaking of Benji, I know we talked about this, I don't know, 20 minutes ago, and I'm not going to get all the way into it again. Check out what Benjamin McKenzie wrote for Slate.com. He wrote an article about cryptocurrency, and he's attacking Kim Kardashian, and I love it, and I want this to be a feud that happens. So do you know what? Shout out to you, Ben McKenzie. I encourage everyone to go check out his war on cryptocurrency. It's a very weird turn for Kid Chino to take, but I'm here for it. Well, I think it's really cool to use your platform to do something that he he sees as very predatory. It is predatory. I mean, there's so many idiots out there that don't know anything and they're dumping a bunch of money and just like losing it for no purpose. You're so talking good to for one. him. <laughs> <laughs> What's your well, crypto of choice, say, Ryan? No, I was going to say, uh, we should get your sister's opinion on this. I feel like she's got a lot of takes. She does. Well, I think she switched to regular investments and not crypto anymore. I'm still, I think crypto was a good, I'm still dabbling a, a in good both. move, though. I feel like I've, I've, got, I've the gained The deal is, though, at least crypto is new. Like, if crypto's brand new, then everyone kind of has a... Um, I should say everyone has a chance, but that's what Ben is saying, is that 
people only think that they have a chance and really no one has a chance. It and really Kim is. Kardashian is exploiting that. I did used to tell when I, I did used to say to my roommate when I was really deep into crypto, I would just tell him like, well, I got to play the crypto slots because that's what it is. It's a gamble. It's literally mm-hmm. like walking into a casino and putting your money on the line. But I do feel like I've come out pretty positive, actually quite positive uh, this year. But uh, anyway, that's a different that's a different uh, set segment for our gambling show that we'll get to in the future. <laughs> in the meantime, Keeping up with the crypto. Um, also, very quickly, we have, guys, we have our first ever listener contribution to this show. Oh, we have. It, it, and it's not voice, one of my family members? It's not one of your family members? <laughs> it's not Gary. It's a total it's stranger. Uh, her name, how do you th- how do you think we pronounce her name, Dylan? The OG Samoid mom? Yeah, the OG, OG Samoid. The OG S-A-M O-Y-E-D mom. Uh, she's a follower. She follows us on Cohen's pod on Instagram. C-O-H-E-N-S-P-O-D. Just gave myself extra work. But she sent us a very interesting uh, couple of voicemails, which I, first of all, didn't even know you could do on Instagram. Mm-hmm. And they have to do with two of the cast members of the OC, two of the at least part-time cast members of the OC. Um, we got a little into, at the beginning of the season, we got into uh, Johnny Lewis, who played Chili, who I feel like he had, he was in probably, what, five or six episodes this season? Mm-hmm. All in Johnny's room. Always worrying about his bro, Johnny. He does have a dope house, though, as we've discussed. That's where the Swells mm-hmm. party was. Um, but we did talk about the, like, the tragic story of Johnny Lewis and like what happened to him later in life. He got... And a lot of issues. Uh, I think he had a bad CTE and concussions. He was on the motorcycle show. I can't remember what it was called now. Sons of Anarchy. And we talked about this at the beginning of the season. He like murdered someone, an old lady who was his landlord. And then he killed himself by jumping off the roof of this building. And that was, I want to say, 10 to 15 years ago that that happened. I did not know there was an epilogue to this story that involved yet another member of OC Nation. <laughs> Is that what we call this? I don't know if we call it OC. It's not The Bachelor, but the yet another member, yet another OC man. <laughs> and it's Logan Marshall Green, the guy who played Trey. Trey? And so I didn't know about this. I don't think you guys knew about this. And so she sent us some voicemails. And I just want to play them for everyone right now. Hey guys. Okay, so the link is that basically um, when the actor who, who, who played Chili, when his life was, you know, starting to unravel and, you know, he was doing stints in jail or like in uh like in a a psychiatric hospital and all of that around this time he was dating a woman um her name is diana greta something like that and uh she broke up with him because you know like he was he was not doing well and all of that but she found out shortly after that that she was pregnant and she decided to keep the baby and i think around this time that's when uh the actor who plays Chili had like his accident that led to his death and the death of his landlord and all of that. Anyways, but basically this woman, she became a, a single mom of one, uh, I think it's a daughter. Yeah, I think she's, yeah, it's a daughter. And um, what happened is that a few... Oh, sorry about that. Yeah, so she met the actor um, who plays Logan Marshall Green and they fell in love, they got married. The actor uh, who plays Trey, he legally adopted uh, the kid to be to be like her father. And they had another kid together, which is like such a great story and like such a good end to a tragic ending. Um, except they got divorced uh, pretty recently, I think about a year or two ago. And it, it seems like it was a very like nasty divorce. So it did not 
the ending did not have a good ending but basically it still had like I still think it's cool like that the guy adopted the kid and all of that so such a crazy link so that's it okay 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 so so hold on if I'm understanding this correctly yeah. that means Chili Chili is Eddie um Wait, his what? girl <gasps> is Teresa and Logan Marshall Green is actually oh. his brother Ryan Atwood no Teresa didn't die that the, yeah no one was murdered oh no 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 yes. i mean i mean so because she had the baby mm-hmm. and then that okay. kid was she adopted was, she was Teresa. chili was eddie that's what you said right yeah okay yeah so yeah okay so she had someone else he and atwood stepped in and helped raise someone else's child not unlike that's ryan was, was prepared to do yeah. Okay. Man. Well, a lot of, that's a lot of praise for for Kichino in this episode. The real life, the real yes. life Atwoods are doing a lot, huh? Yes. OG, keep them coming. Keep these voicemails coming. You will forever be the first and maybe only person to ever send us a voice memo. So you will go down in the annals of keeping up with the Cohen's history. Welcome to the annals. I hope you enjoy your time here. Annals. Yeah, the annals of history. Except I was at a wedding one time and some girl was reading uh, she said something annals. and she said annals of history. And that's oh no! That's now the title of my autobiography. Um, really excited about it. <laughs> but yeah, I just realized we're getting a, a lot of the real life Atwoods are doing a lot in the real in the real world. So man, you know crypto and kid stuff. Her voicemail is the only frame of reference for anything about the situation that I know. So I'm just going off of her word. Apparently, their divorce her. was just bad. Like, I 100% believe every word she's saying because she told it to me on the internet. That's how mm-hmm. I do all of my COVID research. That's right. Um, and that you know that's that's why I'm super healthy today. Speaking of Dylan's COVID research, should we get into these two episodes? <laughs> let's let's do it. I don't that's know. Like, yeah, what let's do it. I don't know what that meant. Uh, <laughs> let's start, guys. Well, first of all, we only have like three episodes left. We have two episodes today. Two episodes next week. And then one final finale episode. We will have survived the the darkest season of any television show oh, that's yes. ever existed. The hardest oh, thing to gosh. get through. I'm proud French of this. This warfare. episode, speak. This episode we're about to cover got real dark. Really? You think so? Well, I, I guess it kind of did. I think it was. It might have been the darkest thing that's ever happened on the show before. Uh, Wait, really? You think? Mm-hmm. I'm so interested in what you think it yeah, is. Yeah, we'll, we'll get to it. We'll get into it. Oh, yeah, I, never we'll mind. I know it. what it is. Never mind. I, yeah, no, you're right. It's up there. Don't don't, don't okay. question it. I can see I'm your wheels spinning. Re- I'm just now remembering the details and, yeah. and the van. Okay, we're not, yeah, getting, we're not getting to that question until later. But yeah, I've, I've, I'm going to recap this episode. I'll give you a quick synopsis, and then I'm going to give you my 10 questions coming out of this episode. It's the Dawn Patrol, episode 21. The Dawn Patrol features Sandy Cohen on screen for 6 minutes and 58 seconds. Dylan, patrol the Dawn. The Dawn originally uh, patrolled itself. I don't know where I'm going with this. April 13th, 2006, right around the time the Titanic sank in 1912, 4.33 million people watched this, um, which is also how many people died on the Titanic, ironically. Did you make that same Kelly, joke la- a year ago when we <laughs> yeah, I did for the last season? <laughs> I, on- I only have like 12 jokes uh, per year and I just reuse or per season. I just reuse them. Mike Kelly wrote this. Um, maybe he can write me some better jokes, but let's dig into it. Give me your 10, baby. Okay. Well, let me th- so the quick OC wiki synopsis of this episode is Ryan leaves Newport to invite Don, which is his mom, don't forget, to invite Don to graduation, but he hesitates. Summer and Taylor try to discover what Seth is hiding from them. Seth declines his love for Summer. Julie confronts Volchek about his relationship with Marissa. Meanwhile, Sandy begins to pay more attention to the Newport group than his home 
life. Uh-oh. So, a lot going on here. Um, I will say it's a struggle. For, for, for some reason, the first time I did this 10, 10 questions thing, it was really easy to write the questions that were obvious. It's getting harder to come up with 10 questions, <laughs> but I feel, I feel like I did okay. <laughs> 10 questions coming out of this episode that I feel like we'll cover the recap. Question number one, we will get to the Chloe stuff like in more depth at the, at the end of this, but just kind of superficially off the top here. Is it weird that Ryan hooked up with his mom's friend? Is Chloe also, uh, how the old waitress? is Chloe? She's got to be at least 21, right? She went to a bar. Yes. And mm-hmm. is she yet another person in this show that's hooking up with the high schooler? I have my take on this is that this is probably the most mentally healthy we've seen Ryan in a while. I think Ryan should have been having one night stands this whole time. Um I've never even seen Ryan in this mode before. It was really refreshing. He was to be so honest. adult in this episode, like hooking up with these girls or having hooking up with a girl, like going out to bars, just having beers and like walking. I don't know. He, he felt very like not a high schooler. It was kind of hot. Like I was a little uh, tantalized. <laughs> Excellent, excellent use of tantalize. I got to tell you, though, um, first of all, I don't know who you're talking about. Uh, her name is actually Waitress. With the departure of Cousin, <laughs> we now make wo- uh, room for Waitress. Her name's Chloe. Um, so I personally thought it was really generous of Ryan to give Waitress a 69% tip. Um, I am all about this life, and I like this new Ryan. And I, uh, it reminds me a little bit of the season four kind of happy-go-lucky, do-whatever-he-wants-to sort of Ryan. I'm really disappointed, though, that um, this is the only episode we see Waitress in. And yeah, I didn't I will make, get to that. I didn't make up yeah, this nickname. I want to be clear. She seemed to be really healthy for him, actually. Yeah, I, I did not make up this nickname. I actually sent you guys a screenshot. And her first line of dialogue, it says Waitress, colon. And then the dialogue, that's her name. Her name is you Waitress. Know, waitress, colon. Waitress, colon. We know R. how Colin loves the poop jokes with the anals and all that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> poop joke. But is it weird that he hooked up with his mom's friend? Because clearly they well, hang out. at the out. time, did he know that they were good friends? That does, that, does that part matter? I just think it's weird. Yeah? I think overall, I'm not saying is it weird for Ryan to hook up with his mom's friend. I think in general, it's weird for someone to hook up with their mom's friend. Because they are friends. Like, she went dress shopping with Don. Chelsea, is Alex friends yeah. with your parents? Oh, <laughs> uh, not like that. I thought it was strange to like, oh, my mom. No, my I mean, mom it, has it a was kind of strange. But it's but his mom's co-worker. He knows that much. Like, it's uh, my mom has a co-worker. It I'm like, wasn't I'm gonna go. strange for Ryan. It was strange for her. Yeah, it was strange for Chloe waitress. Chloe is the weird one in that situation. Like, Ryan wasn't. Do we think that she's over 21, right? Because she got into this bar. But I guess Ryan also got into the bar. It's also strange for 21-year-olds to be hooking up with the uh, high schoolers as we've crossed this bridge before with julie and luke but still it's strange well if 18 year olds and 21 year olds hook up a lot at college okay that's a valid point it's actually a great point i didn't think (laughs) (laughs) well you've really you've really of all people in this group it's a little ironic that ryan is the one wondering about age differences and hooking up wow chelsea Oh my gosh! I was well. I was about to wow. make a joke about how you must ID everyone before you hook up with them, and then I was like, "Oh, it's like equally funny now." Oklahoma City's own Leo DiCaprio. <laughs> None. You other. know I have editing powers on this podcast, and you're right? going to keep all this in. Leonardo DiCaprio, but twice as handsome. That's there thank you, you Chelsea. I'm sure you see. Now I'm you sure you see him walking around the neighborhoods. You know, it's weird for us to both be in the same state, but it is what it is. <laughs> All right, well, you've poked all the holes in my first question. We'll move move on to question number two. Question number two. After all this time, does Julie still have any power over Marissa whatsoever? And does she not realize that telling her not to do something 
is going to make her do the thing. I feel like if we know that and we barely know Marissa, Julie should know that by now. I'm going to poke more holes in your theory because I think Julie couldn't have played it off better. Interesting. I agree with Chelsea. I think that Julie is playing the long game because we saw at the end of that episode, who did Marissa go to? Did she go to Summer? She went back to her mom. But she went back to her mom and there's no way she could have, there's no way Julie could have predicted what would have triggered Marissa to go back to her mom though. Well, but still she knew that this was a bad situation. And I think that she also knew that this was clearly a cry from help for for Marissa. And Julie's strategy was, I need Marissa to know that I haven't given up on her. I care about her a lot. She can have a beautiful future. I I need to stand up for these things for Marissa. Marissa, even though she's not willing to. I need to not manipulate her. I need to be super honest about it. Do you it. think that Marissa, so now that you've said this, I, I kind of, I'm buying into this theory that Julie was doing this on purpose and um, mm-hmm. she knew, because like, like my, my, my first she... question was, does Julie even have any authority over Marissa at this point? Because she, we all know that Marissa's going to do whatever the fuck she wants, regardless of what her mom thinks. So do you think is, is, is she going big brain and is she realizing that I don't have power over Marissa, I have to manipulate the situation in my favor? And if you think that, do you think that Julie knew Marissa was at Gidget's house when she went to Gidget and yelled at him. Yes. Yeah, I thought that was like very yes, apparent. This is galaxy brain level stuff. Every everything that she said, she was really saying to Marissa. We also have to remember with she, Julie that she, I mean, she's from Riverside and she's had, she's been in situations, I would assume, like Marissa has been in. She knows people like, uh, like Volchek. And so you have to assume that I feel... I may be just Mandela affecting this, but I feel like there was kind of a let Marissa make her own mistakes kind of conversation. I think Tate was involved. And so maybe she's just finally going forward in that direction. And it's paying off because this is like one of the first times that I think I've ever seen Marissa just actually go back to her mom because she needs something and needs help rather than go to one of her friends. I also think that this is the first time in a long time that Julie isn't operating from complete like reptilian mindset. Yeah. Like she is stable and happy in her uh, love life. Um, She has shelter. She has means again. Um, everything is kind of growing, going great for Julie, except for Marissa. Mm-hmm. So she's able to, she has the mental faculties to be able to think like, let's, how's the best way to deal with this and get my daughter back? Yeah. And she knew that she wasn't going to do it with brute force, but she still needed to make her intentions known. Mm-hmm. So I think it was a good parenting strategy. Strategy. Do you think it was similar to what Sandy did to Seth in season two of the first episode where it's just like, go let him make Ooh. his mistakes and eventually he'll want to come back on his own? I think so. Yeah, I think Julie was more effective at it than uh, Sandy, You think Julie's though. a better parent than Sandy Cohen? <laughs> Unbelievable. <laughs> Question number three, and I literally wrote, this is rehashed from the previous 50 episodes of Keeping Up with the Coens. Question number three, I just wrote, why does Summer... I don't know. Like, come I... on, what is she ah! doing? This is, the, this is the most clear example, I feel like, of your... The, mo- the most the most blatant example of this question, because I feel like, you know, some listeners and some co-hosts might be like, well, because they're meant to be together, blah, 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 this and that. But at this point, it's kind of like, OK, have a little bit of self-respect. Don't right? do this to yourself, Summer. So what's going on in this episode in particular? The reason I asked this question is because it starts with her unbreak, just deciding she can unbreak up with Seth, which is like a cute, fun thing to do for her but like in the storyline it's pretty pathetic to just be like just kidding we're all good then he breaks up with her because he's a fucking disaster and i hate him but after that 
she still pursues him, still tricks him into getting uh, to the school cafeteria, decks it out with a billion balloons. Chelsea, I'm sure you had thoughts on that. There was yeah. a lot of balloons in there. As a balloon expert, I am telling you, those are amazing. Decks balloons. it out with a billion balloons on such short notice, which I feel like is unrealistic. And we're the only podcast that has the authority to say that. And then basically proclaims her love to him still after all of this she's telling him i still want to be with you i'm in love with you you're my person dylan's not listening thank god i can say my person and and he finally tells her he's not in love with her and i just i don't understand her motivations anymore had they said that well first of all adjusted for inflation (laughs) 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 those balloons were probably worth uh twelve hundred dollars dang so thanks thanks daddy roberts doc ock you mean i'm really heartbroken for summer she stands on the table she pleads it's hard to watch at this point though i don't i don't feel as bad for her because i kind of feel like she's deserving because at this point like why do you keep trying what is the motivation here? I just never have never understood what Seth brings to the table that she is willing to try so hard. And I know we have this conversation literally every week, but every week it's a plot point in the episode and it has to be discussed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I got that. I had to get that rage out. I feel better. Uh, question number four. I wrote the, not really a question, but a weekly reminder that Taylor's the best. I love her friendship with Summer. Summer's friendships remind me of the final season of Saved by the Bell. Here's what I mean by that. So the final season of Saved by the Bell, I don't know if you guys probably probably know this, maybe you don't. Do you guys remember Tori, the new girl with like the leather jacket? Yeah, the leather jacket girl, yeah. So the reason she was in Saved by the Bell was because the last season of Saved by the Bell got extended after they'd already filmed. They filmed 12 episodes for the final season, and then decided to add 12 more. But the girl who plays Kelly and the girl who played Jesse decided not to re-sign. And so Hmm. they were not in those last episodes. That's why they brought Tori in. And Tori was basically the replacement. And logically, you would say, okay, so there's 12 episodes with those two girls and then 12 episodes without those two girls. But they didn't do it that way. They interspliced them. So where every other week was a Tori week, then the next week was a Kelly and Jesse week. And that's how I feel about Summer's friendships, because she'll spend a week just with Taylor being Taylor's best friend. And then the next episode that we saw that we'll cover later, it's like she's all with Marissa. And like, we don't Hmm. hear Taylor's not even in the episode. That was a good cultural reference, Ryan. (laughs) <laughs> thank you also i love taylor and summer's friendship like taylor was so nice to her to help set that whole thing up and to be her friend she was earnestly supportive earnestly wanted a good outcome um taylor's the best if only marissa would just like get out of the way in the show somehow to let that friendship flourish you know Question five, do the things that Julie said to Gidget in this episode or the things that Ryan has said to Gidget in the previous episode about no one taking care of Marissa anymore, did they make him second guess his situationship with Marissa? And how do we think, how do we really think that Gidget feels about her? He cares, Uh, I think, in a weird way. I think he cares. I think that, I mean, they very clearly have the thing going on where they're both in, this comes out super hard in the next episode, but neither of them want to give up the power. So they both try to act like they're the least interested out of the two of them. Is that a Ben Folds song, like the battle of who could care less? Yes. Yes, exactly. Shout out to Ben Folds, one of me and Ryan's all-time favorite favorite artists. Um, I think he he genuinely, I mean, he understands what a great catch she is and what a great person she is, and he knows that she is with him for, uh, I guess, self-punishment type reasons. 
Um, does he rise to the occasion? Absolutely not. But I don't think that any of this is lost on him. So whenever she comes, whenever uh, Julie goes by his house, which is like a really dope like warehouse loft, as we talked about last week. I don't know why Summer like calls it like a shitty shithole or whatever in the next episode. I think it's very cool. Uh, yeah. It's also ginormous. And in California, that has to cost millions of dollars. Uh <laughs> But Julie comes by his loft. I think he has a cool loft and a cool van, despite the things that happen in the van. I think just think it just living a cool life. He gets to go surfing in Baja with his friends. Yeah, he like has like a job doing construction that he works like five hours a week apparently. Anyway, <laughs> Julie comes by and basically like I like I like I think we now theorize. Um, talked to Marissa through Gidget um, by saying things like, you know, she, this year just a phase, she'll come back to me because she knows I'll always be there for her, which actually adds a lot of credence to your theory, Chelsea. Um, she, I, I just feel like she really stood up to him. And as soon as that happens, she leaves and Marissa comes out and he just is just like, I feel like he's kind of thrown for a loop and he's like, I'm going to go get beer and he just leaves. And I feel like it's making him second guess what he's doing to and with Marissa. Yeah, I think so. I, it's his way of processing it. That's the way I interpreted it is if he were a normal, not, you know, surfer bro dude, maybe he, they would have a conversation about it. But since he doesn't really know how to deal with those emotions, I guess he's just like, I'm just going to avoid this problem completely. Well, his answer is to throw a big ass party at his own house at what appears to be like in the morning. I think I hey. think he's throwing a big house party at like 11 a.m. We'll get Rock to that in a minute. Um, question number six. So as we've seen in this episode, Ryan has gone to... New Mexico, I almost said Taos. Ryan has gone to Albuquerque, New Mexico to find his mom. We saw his mom a couple episodes ago. He's gone to New Mexico to invite his mom to his graduation. He meets Chloe. They hook up. Waitress. I think it's weird. Uh, her name is Chloe. And <laughs> tell you, you're not going to slide that one in under the under the recording. Um, and they, I mean, Chloe's clearly friends with his mom on a level that, like, she knows a lot about his mom. She knows how much she talks about Ryan um, and how excited she would be to go to his graduation. And so the, she's very involved in his mom's life, it would Whoa. appear. And I Brian, wonder if she was, like, crushing on him, you know, okay, through yeah. the stories. This just clicked to me. That this whole, you know, should they have slept together because they're co-workers and whatnot. But I just remembered that there are like pictures of Ryan when he was a kid in her locker. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that makes it even creepier. It's like she was like, like at one point Dawn opened the locker and she was like, who's that kid wearing that T-ball outfit? I want to get with that. Like, that's that's creepy. That's too much. And I don't condone that. Well, you also said, Chelsea, that like this is like a good version of Ryan that we see like one night stand Ryan. But I feel like Chloe was kind of a little invested and more so than he was like he, to him, it was just like, Oh, I hooked up with a waitress. I feel like to her, it was a little more than that. I feel like if it were up to her, they would continue seeing each other. Yeah, totally. I mean, honestly, Ryan might continue seeing her too. And the other thing that really stood out to me during this episode was that the whole premise of the show has always been like a fish out of water story. You know, Ryan comes and lives with these rich people. And this is very much him returning to a place where he fits in. And, you know, she's probably the kind of girl that he would have dated had all of this not happened to him. He's more comfortable in that environment. Well, so with all of that said, question number six for me was why? I think we kind of know why, but why did Ryan uninvite his mom to graduation at first? And is that the worst thing that we, is that the worst thing that Ryan's done in this series so far? Because I felt like it was really shitty. It was heartbreaking, but I know why he did I know why he didn't invite her. It's because she came out. She's like, look at this dress I got. And it was literally a prom dress. It was a terrible dress to wear. (laughs) 
<laughs> Can you have an auxiliary outfit like of the outfit? episode, by the way? <laughs> so the outfit of the episode is uh, just a dress that no one actually wore. Yeah. <laughs> and like the uh, Dillard's wrapping. <laughs> the hanger really wore that outfit this episode. I mean, I'm not kidding. I think I wore that exact dress to like a junior year prom. You guys know that was a traumatic year for me. But do you oh. think it was justified him because we do know he will eventually he does invite her we know that chloe spilled the beans chloe narked on him and basically told don that he's there to invite her to graduation but for him to then uninvite her and to lie to her and say you know we're just gonna blow it off anyway i was like that's really shitty it's really weird to see ryan in shitty liar mode yeah it it was cringe i don't think it was the worst thing he's ever done but it was like really heartbreaking you were just like disappointed in him in the moment I know he comes around and I know that they needed to do it for the story and they needed to have him resolve. But like you can understand also why a, you know, 17, 18 year old kid wouldn't want his hot mess mom to go to his graduation. Well, I like think he, he did that more than anything. I think he was freaked out about the plus one thing, too. Yeah. About Ron. Yeah. Yeah. We boyfriend. know nothing about Ron. Well, right. Yeah. I feel Ryan like I didn't know anything about him either. I feel like it was it was. He was he would deal with Don just being there, like he'd be fine with it. But then when you add that drama on top of this other kind of unknown, I I, I think it's a terrible thing for him to uninvite her like that. But I would understand why as, you know, 17, 18 year old, why he would do that at that point. Chelsea, what do you think the worst thing you said? It's not the worst thing he's done. What do you think the worst thing he's done in the series is? Is it date Marissa? Um, <laughs> pro- <laughs> I mean, probably one of his overprotective spasm moments. He's had many this season. I think it was not letting White Luke nighting. talk to Marissa when he got the night he got into his car wreck. Because he could have prevented all of that if he just let them talk. Yeah. I watched that, I watched that episode recently and I just remembered it. Yeah. Oh, I was like, that's such a random thing to think about. I, I was thinking about something more recent, like... Um, you have to edit this together so it doesn't look like I'm pausing, but I'm trying I'll to remember door, or something. Don't worry, the crickets in here. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, please do that. That would be really funny. I'm very excited to hear what your answer is going to be. I'm not going to let you off. I'm not going to let you off the hook now. Oh, I know what I, you know, what really infuriated me that he did was when he went on that overnight road trip and played strip poker with Sadie and was still with Marissa. Yeah, that's actually pretty good. That's a good answer. Great answer, Mm -hmm. Chelsea. I think that was the worst thing he did. Okay. Big question here. Question number seven. This is a big one. I feel like we'll spend some time here. To the best of my knowledge, I will try and recap what happened here with Sandy and Matt. I don't fully oh, understand it, but just tell me if I'm wrong. Yeah, very confused. I'll speak in vague terms. Matt has some sort of incriminating documents against Griffin. He wants to get paid, so he so he wants to get paid off, so he doesn't take them to the DA for whatever the documents are. I've I've given up trying to understand that part of this. Sandy bluffs him. <laughs> um, Griffin agrees to meet him and pay him for the files. Sandy knows that it's a setup and that he's not actually going to get paid for the files. He's going to get his ass kicked again and they'll probably steal the files. So when this all happens in a parking garage, Griffin meets up with Matt. Sandy, very Metal Gear Solid, stealthily sneaks into Matt's car, steals the files (laughs) while they're talking, steals the files, interrupts them as they're about to beat the shit out of Matt. Sandy's hunch was right. Matt's an idiot. How did Matt didn't know that he was going to get his ass kicked by meeting up in the middle of a parking garage is beyond me. Yeah, that was fucking stupid. But Sandy interrupts them, tells Griffin, he lies to Griffin and says, Matt doesn't have anything on you. He's bluffing. He's, he's just trying to extort you for money. So that, that protects Matt from getting his ass kicked because now there's no reason to kick his ass. They think he has nothing. Sandy writes Matt a check for some amount, not the amount that he wanted, but he writes him a check for some amount that I'm assuming was drawn from the Newport group. 
And so Matt is sent on his way with some money. Sandy now has some important documents that incriminate Griffin in some way. And my big question here is, do we think Sandy is redeemed? I didn't understand that plot until just now. Um, my notes say, haha, see ya, Matt. Wait, I don't understand any of this. Okay, so there were files. What's going on? So thank you for clearing that up mm-hmm. for me. I'm not qualified to answer this question. Um, I still think Matt is a villain and Sandy did nothing wrong. And so there was no redemption that needed to be uh, gained from any of this. But uh, again, I don't Do know you what's really going think on. That? Yeah, I don't think Sandy did anything wrong. Oh, bad take. Yeah. No, this reminds me of something that you said before on this podcast, Dylan, which was like, you like to create problems that you can also fix so that you're the fixer <laughs> you listen to me and I, that just seems oh. like what is happening here with sandy he fixed oh. yeah, he did fix a, he fixed the problem but the problem was created by him in the first place yeah he and was in, and sandy even admits it he says i'm the one i'm the reason why you went down this path oh. so you don't think he's redeemed chelsea are we still we're still, um, it's still bad sandy yeah it's bad still sandy. capitalist sandy I think we still have several more episodes of that. He didn't let Matt get beat up. Wow. Amazing. So Matt is gone now, right? We don't see Matt again forever, right? He's forever gone. I forever gone. Yeah, I think so. He's not. He's no one's forever person now because he's gone. <laughs> no, he's he's our never person. Yeah, I thought this was the end of Capitalist Sandy until the next episode, which I forgot a lot about this whole Sandy Hospital stuff. So the way it's set up, again, I don't know how we got here. I know what's being presented to us is that there's still a hospital being built. Sandy's, the Newport group is in charge of it, which means Sandy is in charge of it somehow. I guess he's also, based on the next episode, also in charge of like hiring the doctors for the hospital. I don't understand how this works if he's just like a commercial real estate person. Mm-hmm. But this the hospital is still being built. I'm unclear whether Griffin is still involved or not. I don't think we ever see or hear about him or Maya or Matt ever again. But apparently the situation is over. This storyline is over. That's where we are. I also don't think Sandy is redeemed. I think that uh, he did the right thing. And no, he did the right thing in the battle, but the war is still, he's still losing big time. Ooh. Yeah. I like yeah, that. I'd agree with that. Okay. Question number eight. Something we alluded to a little bit earlier. Julie comes, talks to Volchak. He has a moment of uh, self-reflection and decides to leave and go buy beer. Next thing we see, they're having a big party at his house, which I, at I what I believe is like 10 in the morning. It's like a Haley Nickel Rager just out of nowhere. People flood into the mm-hmm. house and they're just like taking bong rips and doing shots immediately. We see Heather again. Heather is there, uh, who is played by Aaron Foster. Shout out to her. And Marissa's still asleep because it's like morning time. Heather and Marissa have some words. The first time we've seen Heather, I think, since before Johnny died. Or maybe Johnny's funeral was the last time we saw her. That's who that was. It's it's been so long. I didn't remember who that was. Yeah, she was the one who like would bully her at uh, at Newport Union. She yeah, she was the mean girl. She was mm-hmm. the Marissa. Yeah, she was of, the one who said, "I didn't want you to shoot me." Oh, yeah. and then did the gun thing. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. also Taylor did a gun thing, and we forgave her for that. Yeah, uh, but Taylor's gun thing was adorable. It was hilarious. Yeah. Yeah, but she's she's in private school, so we can forgive her for that. So we see Heather is just going going off at this party. She's going full Chelsea Trinidad, just getting wasted. Um, <laughs> She's she's having a lot of fun. Her outfit was pretty great too. Uh, outfit of the episode too. We have two this one because the next one nothing was very remarkable. Perfect. Can we can we 
can we please establish that Foxy Foxy by Rob Zombie is the music moment of the episode? We cannot. No, we cannot. Educated Horses. Wolf Mother. Oh, you know. It's Woman by Wolf Mother. Okay. That's the music. It, had, it played in this scene. Uh, I love that yeah. song. That song has aged very well. I don't know what happened to Wolf Mother after this song, but... Um, oh, man. Whenever I you, they, you say that song, I just think about uh, Guitar Hero 2. Oh, hell yeah. Ooh, oh, yeah. Great, yeah. great Guitar Hero song. All-time Guitar Hero song. What did happen to Wolf Mother? Ahem. Back to Heather's Outfit. Sorry. It was wearing like a. It was like a. If it wasn't Ed Hardy, it, it was Ed Hardy adjacent. It had like a, it was a hoodie with flames on it. She had like really low riding jeans. I mean, she really played like a babe who hangs out with the the losers vibes to wow. it. Wow, shots fired again. Chelsea's coming in hot tonight. She she delayed us by four hours, and now she's got an attitude. Yeah. She was writing her hot takes in her burn book. <laughs> but okay. So what happens here is that um, Heather parties a little too hard, gets really drunk, and our guy, Hawk Nelson, from a previous episode, he's back. Mm -hmm. He and his friends decide they are going to drug her drink. And uh, so they give her a drink that's been roofied, and then they take her out to Gidget's van. I guess it's Gidget's van. Somebody's van. The mystery machine. I think it's just like the friend group's van. I like to to think that it's not Gidget's van, because I like Gidget's van. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I I kind of like Gidget, honestly. Like, Gidget wasn't raping her. Okay, that's my question that's coming up in a second. So... They take her out to the van. She's fully passed out. And they are, like, literally taking turns, or they are about to take turns, like, raping this girl. And Marissa sees it happening. And Marissa, who is not drunk, I think her tolerance is through the roof at this point after all she's been through. (laughs) Because she's drinking a lot Mm -hmm. and she's fully sober. She sees it. She puts a stop to it. She... I mean, she puts herself in the middle of a situation with these three guys who would clearly would choose violence on it could choose violence at any moment. And she still decides Mm -hmm. to um, interject and put a stop to this. And so good. Good job, Marissa. It was really cool seeing her in a heroic role because normally Mm -hmm. she's the victim. I feel like that's why she kind of did it. So we saw what happened to her at the end of last season. And I think she knew that like no one deserves that. So she put it into it. I don't know if we ever see Heather again, but. That's kind of, I think, the catalyst is Marissa sees that happening. She knows these are the type of people that she is at least tangentially hanging out with. Yeah, and that's, adjacent to. And that's what drives her back to her mom. Whether or not that was her mom's master plan the whole time, I I like that theory a lot. Maybe it was. But <laughs> Julie gave them the roofies. <laughs> It'll help teach a lesson. I would not be shocked if we learned that in the future, honestly. It's like the guy in Arrested Development who doesn't have the arm. Just teaching extreme lessons. That's why you always leave a note. But my question is, based on information I have from the next episode, so this kind of bleeds into both, would you still hang out with a guy whose friends tried to drug and rape a girl? Because Marissa goes back to Gidget in the next episode, and it seems like everything's fine. Like, that might as well have not happened, right? It, yeah, it's, it's very, very frustrating that she does that. But it I mean, I'm sure that they're trying to communicate to us that Marissa feels as though this is the best that she deserves. She goes to uh, Berkeley and she feels like she doesn't fit in. She's like, this is this is what my life is going to have to be now. But it's really sad that she feels like that. It's just like, you know, cause she's she's surrounded by beautiful things and beautiful people. And like, you know, her mom is marrying Doc Ock, who's obviously such a wonderful catch. But you get a little bit about Julie. You you get of that same... He's a plastic surgeon. You get those same vibes um, from Julie, though. That's why Julie doesn't want to go to the party in this next episode. And she's Mm -hmm. like, oh, I can't go unless I have Kirsten. They both are having feelings after living in, you know, they're crashing down um, status level after Caleb and living in a trailer. So I think they're both kind of dealing with that. 
it's almost like a, I don't know what the word is, but to have her have this big moment in this episode where she's very into like protecting Heather and not wanting to be a part of this situation. And she, so she leaves the situation in the next episode. She just goes right back to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's frustrating. Do you have anything do you want to say, Dylan? I feel like I interrupted you. No, no. I just, because I'm getting dangerously close to the other episode. So I'm just going to okay. stop and save it. Question number nine. Did Chloe the waitress set up the restaurant run-in between Ryan and his mom? We know that she took him there. She's very involved, which is part of my thing here. Is everyone, everyone that gets in Ryan's orbit gets incredibly involved in his life. <laughs> Chloe is no exception. She is just always kind of around and she decides she's going to drive him to the airport to catch his flight, which I guess he can be as late as he wants because it's the OC. But she takes that, yeah. him to the restaurant and shows him... Don's locker, which, as Dylan said earlier, has a lot of photos of him. I was about to ask, how did she get an invite to uh, Ryan's birthday party? But Don mentions that Kirsten sent her all of those things. But do we think Chloe did this on purpose, knowing that this would bring them back together and he would ultimately invite her to the graduation? And if we do think that Chloe is this manipulative mastermind, I feel like I kind of ship Ryan and Chloe. And that was the last question about them. was like, do we ship Ryan and Chloe? Because I kind of do. I ship them HXE. Yeah, absolutely. I said this earlier in the episode, but I think that he behaves more healthy around her and she approaches things around him healthier than any of the other girls he's dated. Okay, so that's kind of the the struggle that I'm having is for purposes of the better Ryan coming out, is Mm -hmm. waitress greater than cousin? Like, Cousin always had this weird time bomb attached to it, right? Like, oh, we have have a house we have to rebuild and blah, blah, blah. I mean, the thing with Chloe is that, like, obviously they live in different states, so it would be really hard for them to actually date each other. But I feel like if they did, Mm -hmm. they'd be great together. Uh, Yeah, I I kind of feel the same way with him and Sadie. It was always like, let's escalate, let's escalate. And clearly with Chloe, it was like, this just is what it is. So they escalated it as soon as they met. And then they were like, now let's be personal whereas i feel like even him and sadie like were putting off when they were going to actually hook up to be like oh we need to have this perfect night it was just it was it was a high pressure situation with sadie which was weird yeah i'm into chloe and ryan i think that they uh compliment each other very well i also think it's weird that she's friends with his mom but that's fine um (laughs) question number 10 the last question what's up with kiki oh so did we learn Mm. so i i said it was either last week or two weeks ago that whenever sandy came home late that night on the episode we covered previously and then Kirsten just left and I was like I don't even know where she went she just walked out the door so are we led to believe that when she left she went and bought that bottle of wine that we see in this episode that she pours down the drain it looks like it was just in the house which is rule number one against you know living with alcoholics is you don't keep alcohol in the house right well they got rid of all the alcohol so she had to have gotten it at some point after she came back I like I like that take that that's where she went when she left Mm -hmm. Um, she went to yeah so what do we think what do we think is going on with her like clearly we've talked this whole season about how she hasn't had very much storyline. Her storyline so, is, I don't have a storyline because I'm dealing with my own sobriety, so I need to just be alone and at the house and basically secluded from everything so I can work on my sobriety. But this whole thing that I don't fully understand with Sandy and the Newport group, does she feel like he is too involved in the business or does she think that he's turning into a bad person? I think it's the latter. And specifically, I'm kind of cheating a little bit and thinking about what she says in the next episode. But I, at first, it just seems like it's a Sandy's not spending enough time with me, kind of that whole thing. And then whenever you're greeted with that, you remember, but wait, this is what Kirsten did. This was Kirsten's job for like the entire first season. So I don't get that. But then she really kind of 
puts all her cards on the table in the next episode where spoilers she says you know they say every little girl grows up to marry your father and i thought i had escaped that or i thought i was the exception and so i think that she doesn't like the person sandy is becoming because she knows that her dad was kind of not the greatest person and she sees that happening to sandy who as she said earlier in the season she loved because he can always find where the line is and i feel like in this season sandy has really been walking the line and i think she's worried that he's you know based on all the stuff she's only half hearing because he didn't share anything with her um i feel like she's she's worried that he's turning into a bad guy that he's not going to be able to find that line anymore if but you there's will. like a lot of tension between them and i feel like i don't understand the tension that exists between them because clearly they keep talking to each other and saying we have things to talk about and they don't talk about them because he has to fucking go off that's the only thing i didn't understand is she's like you've been working all the time you don't have time for me but like all we've seen him do is have a quick meeting with griffin and then a quick meeting with matt that took about 30 seconds and i'm like what the fuck is he doing yeah. with his time i don't know and especially if you're building it's like it's not like he's like hammering in the framework like he's just kind of has to sub it all out it's like not that hard right, like i don't think yeah. this situation with matt and griffin is taking up all of his time because we've seen all of it i think up to this point mm-hmm. and it's all fit into a 42 minute show so yeah, he's eating churros mm-hmm. and stuff he's not doing hard work but there's this weird tension that exists between sandy and kirsten that they never resolve and i guess that's what i don't understand is kirsten knows that he's doing something shady and she wants to talk to him about it but she thinks he's avoiding her so that tension just mounts to the point where she kind of has a meltdown and we see her start drinking in the next episode but we know that she is at least thinking about it in this episode yeah and i mean i've experienced this in my own life where if like if i'm doing something that i am kind of not feeling great about and then i don't want to share it because i don't want to worry someone that comes off kind of in the same way that this sandy kirsten stuff is where it's like she knows something is going on and anytime he tries to kind of reassure her or say like, oh, no, nothing's going on or this and that, it makes that worse. And he knows that what he's doing is not great to Kirsten, but he doesn't want to tell her for fear it's going to become worse. And then it just kind of spirals until one person snaps. And as we see, it's Kirsten that snaps in this case. Those are my 10 questions about the episode. I feel like I covered most of it. There are a couple of notes I just wanted to, to, to shout out. Most mm-hmm. of this all happened in the first beginning of this episode. But uh, we Ryan acknowledges that trying to become a fisherman was a very bad idea, which I believe we all were on board he with. He listens to the podcast. Yes, thank he acknowledged that, which I thought was funny. Um, something that I can't not here now because I think I've mentioned I'm rewatching season one now and I specifically remember Dylan bringing up Anna always having to go wash up before they did things. Yes. <laughs> what is washing up? up? Well, they both, Ryan and Seth both said it in this episode. At the beginning of the episode, they were both like, Ryan's like, I'm going to go wash up. And Seth's like, oh, I'm going to go wash up too. And they both leave the scene. And I'm like, oh, that was bizarre. Because just say wash your hands. And I the guess. reason they yeah. don't is because there's something else weird involved. <laughs> Like they have to go wash their legs or something. I don't even know. They have to go wash their hair. Um, Summer says that Taylor is up with life and down with God, which I thought was really funny. And Solid. Taylor acknowledges that she was at the coffee cart confessional, even though we didn't see her because she was not in the cast of the show. But I thought that was a really funny like retcon. Um, mm-hmm. I have one note that mm-hmm. I wanted to add, and that is I really love the DeVry University shout out at the end of the episode. Yeah, I thought that was funny. Um, so this episode is actually brought to you by DeVry University. Um, get your degree from the convenience of your own home. Make sure to sign up for DeVry. Use the promo code Cohen's DeVryUniversity.edu. Thank you so much for sponsoring us. There's a promo code to go to college. 
that's that's what we're here for so yeah basically the episode ends with ryan and seth coming back together in the pool house they are meeting up for i think the first time since the beginning of the episode they obviously spent a lot of time apart and seth tells ryan that his new plan is to he he says i've done the biggest the dumbest thing i've ever done which is tell summer i don't love her which we know is a lie but also says an asshole and so his new plan is to get summer back by getting into brown that's fun if we have nothing else for this episode that will get us into the next episode okay i will say the last thing i want to say about this episode is i i mean i know what happens and i know how this is going to go but for some reason it was the music and the tone and everything when seth was like this is easy this is all we have to do and ryan's like Okay, we can do it. I'm like, yeah, we can do it. And so I don't know what it is about the show that makes me feel optimistic about the stupid plans. But even I was like, I know it doesn't work out, but I hope it does. And it's going to because they're together. But anyway, I want to talk about the college try. It's almost like the show's give it because like we're sitting here wondering like how the fuck are they going to write themselves out of this situation, right? Are they really going to make Summer not go to Brown? Like Because we know that we know... The whole time we're watching the show, even the first time we watch the show, we know that Summer and Seth have to be together no matter what. Like, that's just something that mm-hmm. has to happen. So we're wondering how they're mm-hmm. going to do it. So this scene was how them saying, like, okay, this is what we're going to do. So get ready, because this is what's going to happen. And uh, mm-hmm. that will get us in to episode number 22, The College Try. The College Try features Sandy Cohen on screen for only five minutes and 34 seconds. Dylan, mm. going away to college. Daddy well, Dylan. We all went away to college on 4-20-2006. Uh, 5.36 million of us all blazed up together to watch this. J.J. <laughs> Philbin wrote it. And so let's talk about it, shall we? Mm-hmm. Morning dawns on the Cohen kitchen. Boy, and the boys are all packed up. total vibe shift as soon as you start. Okay. Hey, yeah, that's right. Uh, boys are all packed up. They're ready for a prospective students weekend. Uh, turns out Seth's plan is to get summer back is to just go to Brown, uh, feel the vibe, hopefully bump into the ghost of quote, old man Brown and convince him to admit him into the school. So, you know, solid plan. Kirsten drives him to the airport without Sandy, who as usual had an early meeting doing whatever it is he does at work. Uh, and they part ways. Seth, heads to his fake brown trip and ryan heads to berkeley seth does not hug his mom but ryan does again that's consistent and then all of a sudden out of freaking nowhere Teresa shows up and greets a baby who looks exactly like ryan named daniel what is going on here and then the theme hits but how did you all feel about this Teresa sighting my heart the first time i saw this my heart was in my throat like, I, I, I was going to comment before we kind of started talking about the episode that I remember watching this one live with my uh, parents and sister. And I mean, you we all were like, Aah! it was a very dramatic moment in the house of Kaywood. Man. I didn't love that they are going back to this well, which we've talked a lot about how mm-hmm. the show runs out of things to do. But like, hey, remember in season one, towards the end of the season, when Teresa <laughs> was going to have Ryan's baby? Oh, my <laughs> God, that was crazy, right? What if we did it again at the end of season three? Maybe Teresa's having Ryan's baby and he just doesn't know about it. I was like, come on. The Teresa thing it has been tied pulled. up at the end of the episode. If it would have been a more ongoing thing, I would have been really, really annoyed about it. But since it resolved itself, I was like, OK. I don't remember the role Teresa plays for the rest of this season. Um, I don't know if she's. Either, uh, I don't know okay. if she comes back next. I don't remember. But I didn't love that this was like the thing that they pulled out again. Like hey, Teresa's still here. Like it's just the thing they'll pull out whenever it seems like they have nothing else to do. Check off. Well, son. it prom is kind of what ties in all of these old faces. So I, I actually thought it was kind of a cool device. 
Okay, so we're in Summer's room now. She's stressing about how she should be dressing when she goes to Brown. Uh, she and Marissa have a heart-to-heart about Marissa's erstwhile courtship with Volchek, the almost homeless surfer dude, as Summer calls him. Turns How's out Marissa almost loves almost homeless? He has a ginormous house. Exactly. Yeah, he has a very cool house. And she calls Marissa. She's like, well, as of yesterday, you were the Courtney Love of Newport Beach or something shout, like that. Shout out Courtney Love. Um, so it turns out Marissa left some stuff at Volchek's converted restoration hardware store. Um, Summer <laughs> thinks it's a bad idea for her to go back. So they plan to just have them meet at the diner to exchange um, accoutrement. So they head into the kitchen to get ready to go to the airport. Julie offers to tag along um, as Marissa's Scientology guide, but ultimately the girls go alone. And so now we have this fun sequence for the rest of the episode where we're bouncing between colleges. And we start off at Berkeley. Uh, We meet Wes, Ryan's freshman buddy. Ryan's nervous about his torrid past as Inchinoman, but Wes makes everything better by saying Berkeley also has students from Kansas and Bangladesh and that there's no mold. Um, I'm assuming he meant no mold as in like there's no typical Berkeley student, but I also like to think he was making sure that Ryan knew he won't have to worry about any respiratory issues while he's at college. So we go back to Newport. We leave the rainy Berkeley and Volchek is at the diner. Um, Volchek lets Marissa know that she's been punked. He doesn't actually have her stuff. It was a bait and switch. He used the promise of things to get Marissa to the diner to hash out the quote unquote breakup. Uh, Marissa uses the sound of music story again to explain her problems. But the question on everyone's mind, especially on mine, because I didn't know what was going on at this point, is what's Sandy been up to? He's been talking on the phone, um, I guess. Kirsten tells Sandy about the Teresa sighting and that the baby might be Ryan's. Sandy, who clearly agrees with our assessment of Teresa's big aunt energy, suggests that the baby might actually be a nephew. Um, but Kirsten is not so sure. So they determine that they should probably tell Ryan because they never keep anything from him. It's East Coast time, babies. We're at Brown. Seth arrives and calls Ryan immediately because he's self-conscious and has no friends. Uh, Then all of a sudden, Anna is back with long hair. Uh, Our our wispy waif queen is back. She didn't look good. Um, I didn't think she looked good. Her hair, that weave is terrible. Yeah. (laughs) So... After uh, after dumping on Newport for a while um, with Seth, Anna brings up Atomic County and we come full circle. Season one is discussing season two. Seth, for some reason, immediately tells Anna that he's not admitted into Brown um, because now he wants Anna to come up with a plan. She agrees and tells Seth that he should go to the Meet the Faculty event. An Anna and plan? Talk- yeah, an it's, Anna- like, it's like Anna's <laughs> plan? Anna plan. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, shout out to another one of our listeners. Oh, heck yes. Anna Stan. We're Anna Stans. Mm-hmm. We're not Anna Stans. Anna's QAnon. I, and she has gross <laughs> feet. Yeah. Her disgusting oh, feet that she walked all over the Brown the campus re- with. The return of Brown is also what we should call Anna's feet. Um, so Julie shows up <laughs> at Kirsten's house to invite her to this hospital event um, that she is a part of because Doc Ock is a part of it. Kirsten isn't super into the idea because she and Sandy, well... You know, let's just say, much like Nancy Myers, 2009 Meryl Streep hit, It's Complicated. Julie plays the sad girl slash dead husband card and begs Kirsten to go. So Kirsten, who's a pushover, agrees. She'll go with Julie to this hospital event. This was um, a cool, like, moment of friendship between the two of them. I was like, oh, yeah. I would, I think I argued in season one that Kirsten doesn't consider Julie her best friend, but at this point, I do think it's true. I didn't think it in season one, and I still don't think it was true in season one, but at this point, I do think it's true. 
Uh, back at Berkeley, Ryan is talking to some dude named Miguel about who has a more messed up background. Miguel not only has family in jail, but also uh, somehow thinks Supreme Court justices are responsible for getting people out of jail. They're not. Um, Marissa walks in mid-conversation and Justice West starts leering at her. Turns out uh, nice and lonely Marissa is being shown around a campus by a vegan, and she is therefore boycotting the eating portion because there's turkey. Wes, with Ryan's blessing which creeps me out uh, goes to put the moves on marissa so we'll see if he's successful that was very weird to be like you can go you can go talk to her are you sure it's cool it's cool man are you sure it's cool it's cool go talk to her and marissa's just like weird you know vibes. anyone can talk to me it's fine yeah it's like it's like <laughs> right Ryan, like yeah dude go ahead i no longer own her so you can go and do whatever you want it's fine yeah ooh. yeah not a good take Let's also, go back I, to also i do think i was i was wondering this i know you talked at the beginning of this recap about how it was like rainy at um berkeley and i feel like that was real rain like i feel like they showed up to set and it was a rainy day and they were like we have to work around this and we have to work this into the episode somehow because they, they can't improved all the lines and stuff well, they, i just feel like you can't because that looked like real rain like i don't think they could fake that much rain on a full campus because the full campus was fully raining and i was just wondering if they should if that was just like they had to kind of improvise around that and work that into the episode a little bit Back at Brown, Seth and Anna arrive at the Meet the Faculty event. Anna has taken her hair down, and it still looks bad. Um, turns out the head of admissions Seth is supposed to woo is the dude who plays Dr. Bay in The Mummy. Uh, you know, the dude who heroically sacrifices himself to Imhotep and his horde so Rick and Evelyn could escape. So, good dude, solid dude. Uh, knowing all that, Seth goes in dry with no talking points. Um, and meanwhile, Summer is struggling, but somehow pulling off... Uh, being, I guess, smart and cool with a bunch of overly pretentious brownies talking about jihads. Mm -hmm. She overhears Seth talking to Dr. Mummy uh, and gets the wrong idea 100% when she thinks Seth wanted to break up with her so he could be with Anna at Brown. Ladies and gentlemen, it's deja vu all over again. Should um, we call this episode Anna and the Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Hair Day? <laughs> I think that that would probably be a stellar title, okay. and I'm writing it down. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, so I'm down with that. <laughs> that's good. Wes is still getting his Mac on over on the West Coast with Marissa. This is actually important, and this gave me goosebumps because it's about Tate. So Marissa finds out that Wes is a poli sci major. She remembers that Tate was also a poli sci major. She tells Wes that he reminds her of her dad, and Wes takes it as a compliment. He should. It's like being compared to a god. So good job. Anyway, can we go back to Brown? Seth is mopping. What the hell? Sorry. Great job, Bill. I, I don't Seth know how to read, guys. I have a mop, Ryan. <laughs> Seth, yeah. Seth is mopping. No, Seth is moping on the stairs at Brown. Anna says that she can't be mad at him when he's that pathetic. Okay, so... In this moment, I realized I kind of missed Anna simply because she gives Seth crap and no one else really does. Um, they end up coming I, up with I a disagree. plan. No, I think that Anna has feelings for Seth again still. That's the only that's the only reason you can like justify her doing everything that she does for him in this episode. Yeah, and she does a lot. Um, they plan to pick events for Seth to go to that Summer would most likely attend. And... Anna says that she'll help Seth write his speech, his pitch uh, to Dr. Mummy, which I was like, is this 
going to mean that he is literally going to write something out and then read it off the paper to him in his office? Turns out, yes. We'll get to that in a second. I hated um, this storyline. Why the fuck did they think that would work? They're smart enough to Anna's smart enough to get into Brown, but not smart enough to realize that this is a terrible idea. I'm, well, glad, I, I'm glad that it didn't work. Actually, like I was, I was worried that they were just going to do it and it was going to work and that was going to be it. And I was glad that, that would have been was, so stupid. If wasn't it this kind like, of the plot ugh. of Orange County though? Yes, literally, they went to the admissions office and Jack Black burned it down. But it did, yeah. Yeah. It was just Stanford. That was literally the only difference. Yeah. And it was and Colin no, Hanks. No, you're right. That would have been so unsatisfying if they just like, oh, now Seth gets to go to college. Like, mm. I, that was, it was bold of them to not do that. And I'm glad. I thought I they actually came, really... given the situation they've written themselves into, I thought the resolution they came to was actually pretty, pretty good. Back at the Cohen house, Sandy is excited about the hospital dinner. Um, Sandy and Kirsten get a call from Ryan. Sandy answers, but then immediately passes the phone to Kirsten because he got a work call. Um, Kirsten shows us a masterclass in awful impulse control and just goes ahead and tells Ryan about Teresa and her not nephew Chekhov's son. Ryan hangs up on her. So that's great. That's going to end well. Um, but enough of this heavy nonsense. I want to go back to Brown. Anna and Seth spot Summer. Anna's plan slash pep talk is just to tell Summer the truth. Imagine that. Seth is off to a great start by pretending to be Kumar the Hindu, which I don't know if that's problematic or not. Um, Seth and Summer proceed to ruin the tour for everyone. Seth doesn't tell her he has a chance. Instead, according to the subtitles on HBO Max, he just mumbles and sighs. I almost took a picture of that, but I forgot to. Hey, so, quick sidebar about subtitles. Now that I'm uh-huh. now that I'm watching season one again, we watched the Vegas episode last night uh-huh. and the the BC Boys episode, the BC Boys song that plays. Oh, yeah. to check to check it out. I guess in the edited version. It's like turn this, turn this party up. In the unedited version, it's turn this motherfucking party out, and it says motherfucking in the captions on, on HBO Max. <laughs> if you're old enough to read, you're old enough to be offended by rap lyrics. Yeah, yeah, it's it's HBO. So hey, everyone, surprise! Ryan overreacted and returned to Newport. He left Berkeley. Kirsten ruins. You think everything. that's an overreaction? I don't know if yeah. it is. If you think that you might be the father, given how convoluted everything is, but if you legitimately think you could be the father of this child, you wouldn't leave and go figure it out like immediately? I feel like Yeah, I would. that would be really odd if he was like, I'm going to continue partying. Then, then that would make him like a deadbeat. I'll college party this weekend, and then I'll get to that next week. I don't mm-hmm. think it was an overreaction. I feel like yeah. a scumbag now. So Kirsten has done research and located Teresa's address. So I guess that means Ryan is just going to confront her, which is exactly what he does. But we'll get to that later. Um, so... We're back at Brown, back with the king of mumbles and sighs. Dr. Mummy has arrived, and he only gives Seth five minutes. Seth sits him down and literally reads his prepared remarks, just like I was worried he was going to do. He blames not getting in on a clerical error or on human error. Um, I hated that. Yeah, ah! at, at this point, Dr. Mummy finds out that he's not actually a student, so he takes away four minutes and only gives Seth one minute. Seth's speech is terrible. Dr. Mummy is not happy. He was misled and his time was wasted. So Seth goes for the nuclear option. He says he wanted to be admitted because of a girl. Surprisingly, it doesn't work. Um, so it's time for Seth to get off campus. I'm pretty sure he le- like legitimately got kicked off of Brown's campus um, by the dean of admissions. So 
Good job, Seth. Um, Sandy arrives home to see Ryan. Sandy isn't super excited about it because if Ryan is back early, that must mean that Kirsten spilled the beans. Uh, He confronts Kirsten, but Kirsten goes for the throat. Sandy, of course, has to go to the office. She's upset about that, too. This is where I wrote in all caps, did everyone forget he's literally working at her old company? Guys, I completely tuned out for this whole storyline, and I feel like that's totally fine because I think that you all may have as well. Um, it's still raining in Berkeley, though. Uh, Justice Wes and, um, initiates Macdown Level 2 because now that Ryan is gone... He feels like he can safely invite Marissa to a party. Um, Ryan manages to locate Teresa. The nanny answers the door, and Ryan and Daniel, Chekhov's son, uh, get a good long brood stare at one another, which is just more evidence that Teresa is lying. Um, Turns out Teresa wasn't there, and I think that she's probably going to not be super happy when she finds out Ryan came by, but I guess only time will tell. So we're back at our party with Marissa and Justice Wes. Marissa refers to him as a model freshman, and Wes shares his secret. He uh, had a 1.5 GPA, and he partied too much, and so he's actually in freshman year for a second time. Marissa shares her own secrets, tells him all about the first two seasons of the show. Um, My favorite part was when she kind of does a little Casey Musgraves-esque lyric, where she says, my dad lost all his money, the pony lost all its hair, and my mom kind of lost her mind. Um, For once, it seems like- That is Casey- adjacent yeah and and i mean i feel like for once marissa actually feels happy and accepted which makes her conversation about not feeling accepted even dumber when it comes later she Um, she doesn't belong i don't belong here shout out to radio but uh (laughs) i i thought she conveniently left out the part where she shot ryan's brother yeah yeah you don't lead with that especially with the justice of the court um, she, I mean, I'm sure she was like, of, of all of the things, that is the one that I'm going to have to put in, like, asterisk by. Put and your asterisk. Really, yeah, he's going to be like, okay, 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 but back to where you shot someone. Yeah. <laughs> she was like, I want to open up, but I don't want to open up that much. I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but basically, Marissa, this in this episode, when she's at college, she, she, she expresses to the justice... Wes and also to Ryan later that she doesn't feel like she belongs there that she said something to Wes about like I don't feel like I belong anywhere and so I feel like that's almost softening the blow of what's going to happen to her later in this season it's not as tragic that she wasn't mm-hmm. going to go to that she didn't want to go to college she wasn't going to go to college yeah it's not like she had this yeah, bright future like going to Berkeley fe- ahead yeah. of her she, yeah she fell in love and like had a glimmer of hope with this guy like they they were teasing that in the beginning but then ultimately as we'll talk about in a minute like she goes back to Volchek but I was wondering like Volchek is interesting to me because I, I actually really like him as a character I think he's good foil he's obviously wonderful to look at like, you can understand why Marissa's attracted to him and is hooking up with him. He's hot. And do we... I don't think that she took him on as someone that she thought was going to change. I don't think that that was ever a part of Marissa's equation. I think that she very, very clearly understood who he was. So, at the end, whenever it's revealed that he tried to watch Sound of Music to get her to know her better, um, that was surprising to me, and I'm sure it was very surprising to her, too. What what did you guys think about that moment? I thought that was basically saying to the audience, like, hey, there's more to this storyline to come. You thought it was over the last episode. It's not. There's more on the horizon, and we're going to get a little deeper into Gidget, because there is more to Gidget. Clearly, as we have seen, he wants to watch this movie and understand Marissa more, because their relationship is starting to develop into more of an actual human relationship and not just two people hooking up because they're hot. Mm. We meet back up with East Coast Seth. 
a cab pulls up to take him to the airport and somehow Anna is in it. How? What? I don't know. Seth tells her that this his flight reminds leaves. Me, this reminded me of the last episode where I just don't get why Chloe is so invested. Well, I mean, first of all, I said this a lot. Everyone's so invested in Ryan all the time, but like Chloe is there to solve all Ryan's problems for him. <laughs> mm-hmm. And like Anna's here to solve all Seth's problems for him. It's like these women are running shit here. Like these dudes would be absolutely fucking lost without them. Yeah. So this is where I get anxiety because Seth tells her his flight leaves in an hour and she says it's plenty of time to swing by the Rhode Island School of Design. How is that enough time? He should already be at the airport. Okay, if he leaves in an hour, then that means the flight starts boarding in 40 minutes. Anyway, Anna says Seth should apply to RISD uh, using Atomic County. And to be honest, I mean, for as weird and shoehorned it, you know, into this plot as it is, I feel like it actually is a pretty good plan. Um, so no, we'll see I, what liked, I like that they brought back Atomic County. It wasn't just a thing that they did and then left mm-hmm. behind and was like, well, never going to talk about that again. That's just a thing that happened. They actually brought it up again in this episode and it actually plays a big yeah, part. Yeah, I thought that was cool. It plays a big part and did their future so a little bit of continuity yeah <laughs> for once so it's time for a fancy party at redneck yacht club um julie suggests that they hide by the crab dip and maybe flirt with the bartenders i guess forgetting that kirsten is a recovering alcoholic it's a solid filler scene it's so much of a filler scene that there is a doorbell sound literally at the yacht club and then there's a quick cut to the Cohen's house because Marissa's at the door and she's there to see Ryan to check on him. Oh, wow. I wonder where this is going to go. Ryan doesn't feel like he belongs, uh, but Berkeley feels right. Blah, blah. I care so little that I actually stopped taking notes on this scene. We touched on the important parts about it. And it's that Marissa doesn't feel right at Berkeley um, and she doesn't really see herself there. And it's good because she probably won't end up there for reasons you'll soon discover. So let's go back to the Redneck Yacht Club. The party's in full swing. Sandy, of course, uh, is giving a speech for some reason, despite the fact he was invited like last minute. Um, Kirsten sits next to him while he's speaking and shows us her best uh, resting depression face. She proposes a toast to Sandy Cohen, who told her countless times over the past year how important this hospital is to him, then hits him with, as I said earlier, quote, they say when you grow up, you're me or your father i thought i escaped that end quote then she walks out stares longingly at a wine glass and falls headfirst off the wagon uh did you all see this coming i didn't see her fully falling off the wagon coming i didn't think they would do that i guess no watching this back as an adult and not remembering how this played out i was still surprised that she actually did drink i thought the revelation that she was thinking about it and pouring the wine down the drain in the last episode was like enough to kind of convey what was happening but apparently yeah. not yeah Yeah. On the way back to the airport, Summer calls Marissa to give her an update on the Seth-Anna drama. They're both sad. Meanwhile, Anna and Seth are already at the airport and happy. Somehow, in a post-9-11 world, Anna is allowed to walk him all the way to the gate. Um, They hug. Summer, of course, sees it happen because it's this show. The look on her face is so sad. I just want to tell her everything will work out and that she's great, but I can't because she's not real. Um... What's Marissa up to, you ask? Well, she's breaking into Restoration Hardware, trying not to wake Volchek and getting her stuff back. She sees that he's rented The Sound of Music. He's trying, you all. And he looks so cute when he sleeps, and it turns out that all Marissa needed... He kind of does! Yeah. All, <laughs> all Marissa needed to jump back in the sack with him was to see that he was watching The Sound of Music. So, come on, lady. She 
was not going back there to get her stuff. That was like the excuse that you say you're going back there for. She was going back there to like talk to him, to like check in on him and see what's going on with him because she wanted something to do with him. Yeah. Yeah. She, she went to Berkeley and didn't feel like she had a place despite that, that cute guy trying to convince her that she did. So, I mean, she was, that guy was, cute. That guy was not and... cute. That guy had such a weird hairline and he had gray hair coming in at the top. Yeah. He had gray hair, which is weird, but I mean, I think that he was TV fine. He kind of looked like, <laughs> wow. Uh, wow. Poor man's Jensen Eccles. Wow. Did you just sh- shout out Jensen Eccles? Mm-hmm. Man. Okay. Anyway, we're whisked away back to the Cohen's house. I did where say, Ryan- I think I should have said this earlier, Dylan, when you were talking about her and him sharing their like stories, her and uh-huh. the justice. As soon as he said something was like wrong with him, they're like, you know, it's not as easy as you think. Second year freshman, because I partied too much and blah, blah. As soon as he got into the Rolodex of things, she immediately was into him. I was like, oh, this is so Marissa. So like, <laughs> yeah, tell she's me more. like, she's just kind of like walled up. Oh, there's something wrong with him. And she's immediately into him. How are you Gosh. a second year freshman? It's not like uh, high school where you get held back a grade. You just do you just become like a seventh year senior. Well, I don't think you technically qualify to be a sophomore in case you've completed a certain number of credit hours. And if you failed classes and didn't get those credit hours, then technically he didn't get sophomore status yet. I don't know how that works. By the way, I literally made that up, um, but I said it convincingly enough that maybe it's true. Um, Lawyered. Yep. Let's go to the Cohen's house. Mm-hmm. Where Ryan, your craft. Ryan is brooding poolside, which is the most OC shot that I've seen so far. Teresa walks up because it's a set and not a house. There are no doors. He tells him that uh, <laughs> Chekhov's son is, in fact, Eddie's kid, despite the fact he looks 100% not like either Teresa or Eddie. Uh, she tells Ryan that they know because they did a paternity test. The kid um, is I don't too believe white. her. Yeah, I don't believe her. Uh, turns out Teresa, though, <laughs> is basically season one Lorelai Gilmore because she's absolutely killing it as a single mom who works at a hotel. And, and then, yeah, I know. I loved that. Yeah, I, I, I wonder if they were referencing uh, Gilmore Girls also. But Dylan watches the, Gilmore Girls once. Dude, I'm obsessed with it. But Wa- the Watches ep- six episodes. <laughs> I'm actually eight in. Thank you uh, very much. Um, the episode ends abruptly. Uh, that's it. They're like in mid-conversation and the episode ends. Well, it sets it up in a way that, first of all, I don't remember how this, I don't remember what happens from here. The only thing I remember for the rest of the season is that Seth lights the office on fire, smoking a joint, and then what happens to Marissa. I don't, I don't remember if it ever comes up again or what, but do we believe that this was a Ryan's kid? I mean, is that just, are they putting it out there like, oh, don't worry, it's not his kid? Or is it, dude? I think, no, I think we're supposed to accept it and just be like, oh, I don't accept it. Why would they, why would they cast that child eddie and teresa are both hispanic brunettes that is a that is a white that is an ll bean kid that is a white white kid the scene of ryan meeting the kid was shot in a way where ryan is like recognizing himself in the kid a little bit that's how i watched it maybe i'm wrong but no i i agree completely they brooded at one another yeah uh, anyway. No, I mean, but they're good at casting kids that look like many versions of them. Because do you remember that kid that that ghost kid that Ryan kept seeing in first season two, episode one? Uh, you him. mean the kid that I imagined During in my head you every got day? Me all wrong. Don't they yeah. cast Schmidt as young Sandy? Yes, yes, yeah, they okay. do. And he and Dead Ringer, that was great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and then Sandy plays Schmidt's dad in New Girl because all TV is in the same universe. Yeah, no, that is how the episode ends, and I guess Ryan and Teresa are gonna. Be friends. I don't remember what role she plays. Yeah, I'm very, know. I'm very interested to see where it goes. Oh, from good. Here. I'm excited for next week then. 
Oh boy, yeah. Wait, it's does be Anna fun. come back again yeah. for prom? I kind of do remember that now. Okay, well, there's mm. only three episodes left. Holy shit! So there's a we'll lot to, to cram see. in. I did remember that there was a one night stand with the waitress episode, and there was a college episode. So I'm glad I could check those off off the list of things I remember. But yeah, so that's it. That's the end of uh, episode number what 22, the college try. Uh, yeah. Music moment of the episode was a song called "Wrap It Up" by Whitey. Um, great song. Very memorable to me because it was also in Grand Theft Auto 4 on Radio Broker, oh. a fake radio station that I spend hundreds of hours listening to. Uh, great song. Um, and that's it. That's it for that episode. And that's it for this episode. Heck yeah. This was a good, I think, I think we finally got the hang of it. Yeah, I like the form. I like the slight format change of the two episodes this week. You know, there mm. was some travel involved. That was fun. Yeah. So if you want to reach out to us, like, that uh, like that lovely lady did. I can't remember her Instagram handle. Like the OG. Handle. The OG. Yeah. Like the OG mom. I can't remember her Instagram name. Uh, you can reach us at Cohen's Pod, C-O-H-E-N-S. Or the Kit Kat Connoisseur. C-O-H- plan. C-O-H-E-N-S-P-O-D on Instagram. Uh, or you can email us, Cohen'sPod at gmail.com. Dylan, do the thing that you do here. There are so many wonderful people. 98. No, I'm just kidding. 96. In my dreams, it's 98. In my dreams, it's 298. But there are 96 of you wonderful people who left us a rating, and some of you even left us a review. And I've read those reviews live on air, I think. You could be one of those people. You could have your words read by one of us. If you want to, leave a review and say who you want to read it online. It's okay if it's me. It's totally fine. But please, five stars, five star rating, five star review. It's the best way you can help our show. We still want to overcome all the other OC podcasts. Um, and if we, you know, if we get that 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 visibility, it helps us. It makes us want to continue making content for you all. It makes us want to do more seasons. It makes us want to do different shows. It just makes us continue to want to do this. So you literally hold our future in your hands. Do not pull a Marissa and decide that you just don't want to do anything with it. Be more like Ryan and feel that you should be there and feel that you should do it. And have a good one night stand. Yeah. With Waitress. I feel like I could just let it end right there. That would have been a great end. Anyway, <laughs> that's it. We'll be back next week. We have two more episodes of this podcast to go for the next two weeks. So we'll see you then. Like Chelsea said, go have a great one night stand with your waitress. Goodbye.